Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Claiming God's Promises, and it is brought to you by guest speaker, Pastor Eliza Perez. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Eliza Perez. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Eliza, and uh, it's so good to see you guys. It's so good to be here with you. Uh, Jason, that was very flattering, man, but I feel the same exact way. Uh, I met the McCutcheon family probably about 15 years ago or so, and um, they've been very special people in my life and my family. Uh, you know, I, I tell everybody, he doesn't believe me, but he's a mentor to me, and I've learned so much, and I've grown so much because of him. Sometimes it's just to, to call and gripe <laughs> and tell him all the things that are wrong with the whole world, you know, uh, but I always get great perspective and, and such warmth. So uh, thank you, Pastor Phil, and thank you, Jason, and the whole family, uh, just for, for embracing somebody like me. Uh, and uh, my family was unable to be here today. Uh, I'll admit it. I'll admit it. We, you know, a few a few things happened during this whole pandemic, right? I mean, we're quarantining, so we're doing life differently. Well, we decided to get dogs, like out of nowhere. And I said dogs, yes, plural. Like we had no dogs before, and now we have two dogs. And <laughs> all the dog people say amen. Uh, but uh, but the second one that we just got just came last week, and uh, he's a puppy. He's tiny, and he likes chewing on too many things for us to leave him by himself. But uh, my family regrets uh, to not be able to be here with us. They send their greetings. Uh, I want to tell you something. I just need to, I, I know you know this, uh, but I have to tell you it. Uh, your pastor and his family, their hearts are for you. I see that in every conversation, every time we talk, their passion is the BCC family, and, uh, and, their, and their passion is absolutely this region of the world that, that you guys are in. And I just thank you so much, Pastor Phil, for your example in ministry and the way you love your congregation. Can we just give him a hand for just being such an awesome pastor? <laughs> oh, well, I, I have a message that I, I really feel God wanted me to share with, with your family, with, this, with you guys here. And it's something that is actually very personal. It's something that God revealed to me through the scriptures over time. And something that over the years I've gone back to and I've had to go, go back to on several occasions. I want to talk to you today about claiming God's promises. Claiming God's promises. I'm not, this is not about name it, claim it type of stuff. This is no bad theology here. You want a boat and you just name it and it comes. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there are things that God wants to do in your life. There are things that God wants to do through your life. And too often, we're so influenced by just the stream of the world that we just dive right into the things that are happening in society, the things that are happening in the world, and we, we bypass completely the things that God created us to do. And I don't know about you, but for me, I just feel like, man, God saved my life. He, he sent his son Jesus to die for my sins. And that's not just entrance into heaven, but that means that he loves me. And if he loves me, he has a purpose for me. And because he has a purpose for me, I don't want to miss it. 
I, I owe him my entire life, so I don't want to miss a single thing that God has for me to do. And so personally, God's will like drives me. It's just like I, I just don't want to miss the reason why he bothered to save me in the first place. Does anybody, anybody resonate with that, that kind of feeling? Like, yeah, like I don't want to miss God's plan. But so often it's so difficult because we're just inundated by all of the crud that, that our society is made up of and the stuff that happened in the world. And I want to tell you, even in the midst of what we're dealing with as a nation, listen, it's not the first time we've ever dealt with craziness. I wasn't born in the 60s, but I understand that it was some crazy times back then. And that's not the only time. Every generation faces challenges. Every generation faces unprecedented obstacles. Isn't that something? We should actually stop using that word unprecedented because every obstacle we ever face is absolutely precedented if you look throughout history. Uh, but, but just because we're dealing with a global pandemic and just because we're quarantining and we're forced to wear masks and this and that, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden God's plans for you, God's plans for me are null and void. Do you understand that? It's actually quite opposite. Because of the world that we're living in, because of the things that we're experiencing, this is the time that God needs his children, his people, his redeemed souls that make up the church to rise up and to actually walk into the things that he has spoken and already decided in his eternal mind. Isn't that beautiful? We get to be a part of whatever God is doing. And so to do that, there's, you know, just a few things that I feel like all of us need these refreshers on so that we don't miss. So we don't just go swimming down the stream of popular culture and actually miss what heaven's culture would have us to live like. Can anybody say amen to that? And so we see promises, and I want to just start by by giving you just a a foundation of promises that God has laid throughout all of his word. Old Testament, New Testament, prophets, you know, uh, apostles, all throughout all the the Bible, there are promises that God has made to us, to eternity for us, that we need to believe and we need to walk in. So, for example, did you know that God promises, and again, this is refresher. This is very simple stuff, but it's going to form a foundation. Did you know that God promises to take care of us? Did you know that? Did you know in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, he says, this is Jesus speaking. The Son of God says, I tell you the truth. Don't worry about your life. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? At the end, he says, God feeds the birds every single day. Doesn't he love you a little bit more than birds? I mean, he didn't die for birds after all. He died for us. So if he loves us that much more, but he's willing to take care of the birds, isn't he not going to take care of us? Yeah, he's going to take care of us. That's a promise. He promises to never leave us. And this promise, we see it all throughout scriptures over and over again. In Isaiah chapter 41, he says, don't fear, I am with you. Don't be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you with my righteous right hand. He'll never leave us. He'll always be with us. He will always uphold us. Well, God, if you're upholding us, then why do we feel like we're sinking? Why do we feel like we're drowning? Well, just relax. Just relax. He said it. He's going to come through. He didn't say it and lie about it. He didn't say it and change his mind. That's not what God does. It's impossible for him to change his mind. If he says it, he'll do it. Jesus says, the thief, the thief, and he's talking about his adversary, the devil. He says, the thief is the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
<laughs> so anytime you've been stolen from, anytime you've been deceived, anytime you know, there, there's something in your life that brings death, you can bet your bottom dollar that's the devil. You can bet that's the thief because that's what the thief came to do. But Jesus says, I came to give life. And he says, I want to give it to the full. I want to give it in abundance. He promises that when we come to him, that's, that's what awaits us. Full life, not just eternal life. Thank God for eternal life, right? Amen. That's wonderful. We got our ticket to heaven. That's great. But if, that's where, if that was all of it, he wouldn't have said this. He says, no. He, he would have said, I came to give eternal life. That's not what he said in this particular verse. He says, I came to give life to the full. And so he intends on giving us full life. It doesn't mean we're absolved. It doesn't mean we're, you know, that, that, that no bad thing will come to us like some you know, preachers want to say. That's not what he's saying here. But we get to taste bits of heaven. We get to taste along, the, along this journey. We get to taste bits of the original creation that he intended this fullness. Why? Because we have a relationship. We can have a relationship with him. Life in the full. He promises to give us a way out of temptations. He says when you're in 1 Corinthians, you're going to be tempted, but when you are, I'll give you a way out. He promises to bless. In Malachi, he says, test me on this. See if I won't open up the windows of heaven and, and just shower down on you. You can't even contain it. These are promises. But too often, we don't live in the fulfillment of these promises. Imagine your life just for one second. Imagine your life just for one second. If everything that God ever said about you, you believed it and you lived in that way. Well, God wants, has that desire for you. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have, have, have repeatedly promised these things. So why don't we live in this, these ways then? Well, I believe that in the Bible, we have some clues to understanding how to unlock God's blessings. Now, this isn't a pattern of like, you know, you do this and God is going to, you know, you can't strong arm God. You understand that, right? You can't control him. You can't manipulate him into working on your behalf. That's not, that's not how it works. He would not be God if that were the case. But he shows us clues throughout the scriptures of how he moves and what he responds to. And so throughout my life, in this journey uh, with my family and my career and everything that I'm doing, I constantly go back to this portion of scripture to understand how to walk into God's promises. This is the story of a man named Joshua. Joshua, you know, was second in command to Moses. Moses was the man that God called to redeem the Israelites out or to take the Israelites out of Egypt and to bring them into the promised land. And in all of his promises, remember, he said, I'm going to use you. You're going to, I'm going to take them out of Israel and I'm going to put them in the promised land, out of Israel, into the promised land. He says that over and over and over, over and over and over again. God uses Moses, gets people out of Egypt. And where are they? The desert. Like, Wait a minute. You didn't say anything about the desert. <laughs> you, said, you said Egypt, you said promised. You never said desert. What are we doing here? For 40 years, they wandered. A two-week journey took 40 years. And now after 40 years, Joshua stands in command to lead the people into the promised land. There's a whole lot of things that go on behind the scenes to kind of bring it to this point. But this is where we land. This is where we park to understand the nature of God and his promises. Well, Moses has his turn to speak with Joshua. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 34, we see that he brings him in. Moses is about to die, and he brings in his successor to give him the last bit of encouragement, the last bit of of instructions on what is going to happen next. Moses knows he's not going to make it. You know, God had specifically told him, a generation in the desert is going to perish, and you're a part of that generation. Sorry, bud, but Joshua is going to lead the people. And so here is Joshua in the presence of Moses, and Moses tells him three times, Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. He says, but take courage. Do not fear. On three different occasions. Fast forward to Joshua chapter 1. And once again, God now is speaking directly to Joshua in three different occasions. Verse 6, verse 7, and verse 9. God tells Joshua not to be afraid and to take courage. So what's the first thing I want to tell you about claiming God's promises for your life, claiming God's promises for my life? Number one, we have to be courageous. Listen to what it says, verse 6 through 9, chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. This is God speaking to Joshua. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land. He's being very clear. He says, I need you to be courageous because I am about to fulfill my promise and you're the one that I'm going to use. So be courageous. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Don't turn from the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. What is he saying? He's saying it's going to take courage for you to obey. Obedience is not, is not for the faint-hearted or the, or, or the weak. Obedience to God's commands takes courage. And so God is telling Joshua, Joshua, I need you to not fear here. You need courage if you're going to obey everything that Moses told you that I told him. So be courageous. And then in verse 9, he says, haven't I commanded you? So what does that tell you? That tells you that he was still somewhat fearful after hearing it from Moses three times. Now he's hearing it from God. And God is now, haven't I already commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He says, Don't be afraid because I'm about to accomplish my will through your life. Don't be afraid because it takes courage to live for me and to to follow my mandates. And don't be afraid because I'm going to be with you wherever you go. So what do you have to be afraid of? See, my point is this. To live a Christian life, to be a follower of Jesus, it takes courage. Being a, a follower of Jesus is not for the faint of heart. It's not for, 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 for the fearful. I mean, think about it. How could anybody who proclaims the death, burial, and resurrection of a man who lived 2,000 years, born of a virgin, son of a carpenter, also son of God, how, like, how does that come across to somebody that's just like, uh, you know, fearful and, and, and sheepish? Like, how can you possibly give that message? How can that message be any hope to anybody if you're doing it sheepishly? No, it takes courage. Why? Because courage, you see, faith is this big, I, I, I look at faith, Pastor Phil, like this big stew of stuff, right, of these different materials. So belief is one of those things. Trust is one of those things. Courage is one of those ingredients as well. How can you have faith without courage? It takes courage to believe these things and then to promote these things, which is what God wants from us. And now why would God tell Joshua three times after Moses told him three times to, be af- to, to not be afraid and to be courageous if he didn't expect him to be fearful? It takes courage. 
It takes courage to follow Jesus as a teenage kid trying to live for God in the world that is just so strong against his principles. It takes courage to, to live for God in, a, in an industry, whatever it may be. You know, I think of my, my, my friends in construction, and I think about the mouths on some of these people. You know, we recently built a building and constantly had all these different contractors and always, you know, F this and that and all kinds of bad language. And then you get, start getting to know these people and you realize the challenges they face. And it's like, no wonder you're so hard-hearted. No wonder you're, you know, all of these things. But it takes courage to live as a Christ follower and say, no, I'm not going to act that way just because it's easy to act that way. You can't just do it. But let me, but let me, let me tell you this as well. Why would God tell us to be courageous if he couldn't just infuse us with it? If it was that important, then why doesn't God just fill us with courage? Well, I think because that's what we need to bring to the table. That's the part of the faith that says, God, I'm willing to trust you, so I will be courageous. So in your life, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what decisions you have to make. I understand that right now the world is upside down. There's all kinds of challenges out there. But I got to tell you, God wants you to know that you can be courageous. You don't have to be afraid. He's going to accomplish his will through you if you would take courage. How many say amen? The next thing that happens here, he tells them, he says, listen, if you're going to walk in doubt, if you're going to walk in insecurity or disobedience, you're not going to get the promise. You're just not going to get there. You're not going to get there that way. But let me tell you step two. Besides having courage, the next thing you need to do is you need to sanctify yourself. In chapter 3, verse 5, Joshua tells all the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Sanctify yourselves. And I feel like in Christian circles these days, this word sanctification or to sanctify oneself is like a dirty word. I feel like it's something that we, we just kind of omit from the scriptures, but there's a reason why over and over and over throughout the New Testament, the, the writers and the, through the Holy Spirit are just calling us to what? Be holy as I am holy, God says. There's a command for us to be set apart, and that's what being sanctified is. It's the process of being taken from something and dedicated to something else. That's what the word church means you understand the greek word ecclesia means called out ones that's what god's desire is for us to that we would be taken plucked out of the world and the things of the world and be dedicated unto him so he pulls us out of our sinful nature he, he wipes us clean he forgives us so that we can be his kingdom ambassadors so that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven and he says, this is how you ought to live. You ought to live different than everybody else lives. Okay, so here in this, in this particular text, Joshua was talking about something very specific. He was actually talking about a ceremonial process for the people to actually sanctify themselves. And there was a few things involved with this whole idea, this whole concept of, of sanctifying oneself. The first part was a washing and this was kind of reminiscent to the priests, you know, when they would present the, the different sacrifices before being able to do something like that. They would have to wash themselves a certain number of times depending on the sacrifice and all that kind of stuff. But the whole point was that there would be this symbolism that as you wash yourself, you are being made clean unto God. You're being sanctified unto God. 
And so he tells all the people, wash yourselves. And you know what that's like. You've been working a hard day. You put in a lot of hours, a lot of sweat, and you get home, and all you want to do is just wash yourself. And thank God that that, that works for our physical bodies. But God had a deeper meaning in this. He said he wanted him to under, he wanted the people, all of the people to understand that, that as you follow me, I need you to be these clean vessels. So wash yourself symbolically, but allow that inner work to be done. So there was a washing. There was also an abstaining. There was things that, that the people had to abstain from. In other words, there were things that they could not do. And I'm not talking about bad things. In this example, for instance, uh, husbands and wives were to abstain from having marital relationships. Married people, you know what I'm talking about. Unmarried people, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Why would God have them abstain from something that was good and pure and holy and righteous and all that? Why would? Because God wanted their attention to be completely on him. And so sometimes in order to, to see what God is doing and to walk into what God is trying to do in our lives, we have to let go of even good things, even right things. We have to separate ourselves from to, show, to, to focus all of our attention onto God. And then there was a repenting that had to happen with all the people where they collectively confessed their sins. And what's the whole point of all of this? The whole point of all of this was there to be a clear communication between God and his people. It wasn't enough that God could speak directly to Joshua. It wasn't enough that God could speak directly to Moses like in the past. But God wanted a clear freeway of communication between him and his people. I, uh, some time ago... I have a 12-year-old son, and my 12-year-old son, uh, we decided, my wife and I, uh, to buy him a cell phone. Uh, judge me. It's okay. I could take it. You could, you know, I, I ask forgiveness later. Uh, <laughs> but we got our son a cell phone. We felt like it was important for him to have uh, in case of emergencies, whatever. Uh, don't need to justify myself. <laughs> but one day, my son brought his phone to church. And at church, where I'm a pastor... Uh, he, he comes to me with his phone because it was having some latency issues. It wasn't, you know, downloading whatever he needed to fast enough or whatever. He's like, what's going on with our Wi-Fi, Dad? You know, when you're the pastor, every, you know, you fix everything, right? Uh, and so I said, oh, what's going on here? So I'm looking through and he's like, oh, I know what the problem is, Manny. This is his name, Manny. I said, the problem is that you're on the guest network. He's like, Okay, but I, it says I have Wi-Fi, and it says I have a full signal. Yes, 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 yes I, I understand some. But what you need to understand is that there's not just a guest network, there's also a private network. Okay, well, how do I get on the private network? Well, the private network requires a password, and the private network doesn't have as much traffic on it. So here I am giving my son a whole lesson on, on the way, you know, Wi-Fi works. And so if you look at it this way, for every Wi-Fi signal, there's a certain amount of bandwidth. Think of it as a tunnel. And through this tunnel, there's information going back and forth. Information uploaded, information downloaded. The more information is in that tunnel being passed by different users, the more clogged it gets, the more cramped it gets. And as it gets clogged and cramped, things move a little bit slower. I remember back in the day when I lived in Brockton, Massachusetts, I was a youth pastor and I was part-time substitute teaching at the high school. And the high school had like 5,000 kids at that time. And we would get stuck in these traffic jams in the hallway. I felt like it was like in New York City, you know, trying to just get through. But literally, I would stand in one spot on the staircase for five, six minutes because there were just so many people trying to get through and that's what it was like. 
But I told my son, I said, but when you go onto the private one, there's no traffic. And so I switched them over, and guess what? Everything that he wanted to do, now all of a sudden it was fast. It was just working. There was no resistance. There was no delay. Everything was instant. And I think that's what God wants from us. He wants to download and upload information to our hearts so quickly that he doesn't want any latency. He doesn't want any resistance. And so when we sanctify ourselves, when we clean ourselves of all of the different things that, that, that sometimes get in the way, it's like giving us direct access. And so when he said, when, when Joshua told the people to sanctify yourselves, it was because God was about to download something so important that he didn't want anybody to miss it. And so instead of, instead of just going along with your regular routine, if you want to fulfill God's promises, if you want to walk in what he's spoken over your life for the benefit of the people around you and for the benefit of your church and your community, then sometimes you need to set yourself apart, rid yourself of all of the nonsense and have direct access and clear communication with the God of the universe that wants to deposit something in you so powerfully that he's willing to, to, to take you to set apart so that you can be activated and do everything that he wants you to do. That's just how I view sanctification. <laughs> he wants us focused on him. And sometimes the mundane doesn't cut it. Sometimes we need to be separated. So you have to take courage. You have to sanctify yourself. And then lastly, or not lastly, the third, you have to follow God's presence. Where is this coming from? In chapter 3, this is the reason why he wanted them to sanctify themselves. Because he gives them instructions. He says, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move. Move out of your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. You see... Too often, we want God's promises for our lives, and we think we're going to get there by walking in our own direction. How can anything human ever accomplish something divine? Can you answer that one? How can God, who has these heavenly plans and has this heavenly culture that he wants here on earth through his church, how can any of that ever be accomplished if we're not following his presence? If we're not walking in his anointing. And so Joshua tells the people, when you see the box, the Ark of the Covenant, with all its fancy stuff in it, the one that carries the very presence of God, when you see that thing move and the Levitical priests rise it up and they start to move, you got to go. How else are you going to know where to go? We've never been this way before. See, too often, we, I mean, you know how it is. We love control, don't we? We get excited about what God is doing. It's, oh, thank you, God, for giving me this great mission. And then we take this, our hands on the steering wheel and we take it our own direction. And then we get frustrated when it doesn't work out the way we thought it was going to work out. God's like, well, why? You, you ripped the steering wheel out of my hands. When you see the Ark of the Covenant, when you see the presence of God, number one, you have to recognize it. That means you got to be you got to be in position to be able to look out and see it. Because if you're faced the wrong way, you're not going to see it. And then people are going to start moving and you're going to be left behind. 
So we have to recognize, we have to be in position to see God when he moves, and then we have to be able to recognize that it's him moving. Here's the difference between Joshua and us today. See, in that day, Joshua had a box to point to. Joshua had this ark, and it was lifted by the priest, and, every, and, and it was visible for people to see. But guess what? Today, we don't have a box. You are the box. I'm the box. We're all boxes because we all have the presence of God within us. That's why I come to this church and like being anywhere else in the world. The songs of worship start to, to lift up. The songs of ascent that we just sang through. And guess what? My heart connects to that because I recognize the spirit of God. I recognize the presence of God and I can fully enter in. You know what happens when we, when, when we, be, when we grow tired of that, right? We get callous. And so, so, so many times, we understand this, Pastor Phil, people, you know, have all kinds of comments. Oh, worship just didn't do it to me today. Oh, the song was, uh, you know, maybe not my best, the best selection. Oh, the singer was a little pitchy or whatever. And we, we get very judgmental of, of what's happening here on stage. You know what that is? That's we've lost sight of the presence, that's we've lost, I mean, and now it's not become about seeing God. It's not become about communing with God. Now we're, we're just concerned about the flesh and our own desires. But you know when somebody is after the presence of God, because it doesn't matter who's singing. It doesn't matter what song it is. Is it about God? Is he worthy? Then prayer goes up. Praise goes up. Worship goes up. Adoration goes up. Because none of it, no, nothing else matters. I'm not praising the singer on the stage. I'm not, I'm not worshiping the pastor who's preaching the message. I'm worshiping Jesus, the one they're singing about. We got to recognize the presence. And when we see the presence, that's when we move. Not before it. Not before. You, could, you couldn't go out in front, of the in front of the Levitical priest. You couldn't get out in front of them. You had to wait. And when they were lifted the ark and everybody can see it, move. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Too often we wait, we believe in our hearts that God wants us to do something, and we just, we fear, right? We, we, we question whether we heard right, and then we wait, and we miss our moment. But how else could we know where to go unless we follow his presence? So follow his presence. And then finally, last thing out of this entire passage is, is actually I'm going to end the way I started I started by telling you the backdrop to this story. And the backdrop to this story was that Moses was not going to make it into the promised land. And he knew it. God knew it. And the rest of the people were about to find out. Moses wasn't going to make it. It was Joshua who needed to go. What am I saying through all of this? What I'm saying is that for Israel, letting go of the past is what they needed to do in order to walk into the future. You see, too often... We let the past hold us. You know, can you, I mean, think about the moment that we're in right now. There's so many people that as I, as I talk to and as I come across and just different people's stories. And what I'm hearing from a lot of people is, oh, well, you know, when things go back to normal, when things go back to how they used to be, then I'll go to church. Then I'll participate with the church. But think about that. What if things never go back? Does that mean you'll never participate? And so recently, the Barna Group, which is a big Christian research firm, they put out this statistic that one in three Christians today who pre-COVID were in church no longer go to church. That's 33% of church goers no longer attend. Not online, not in face-to-face, -face, not, nothing. Just no church whatsoever. Why? Because they're waiting for things to be the way they were in the past. But what if God was wanting to do something in the future 
And what if he wanted to do it differently than he's ever done it before? Are we just going to say, just reject a move of the Holy Spirit because we can't see it coming? Well, that makes us faithless. That makes us no different than the Pharisees and the Sadducees of Jesus' day. No. Instead, if we want to walk into the promises of God, then we have to be able to wave bye-bye to the past. Because sometimes the greatest victories, I'm not talking about bad things. Like, like bad things, yes. Bad things are in the past all the time, right, for, for us who are redeemed. But when it comes to following God in the future, sometimes there are good things that we need to leave in the past too. You see, because sometimes our monuments, the things that we erect, the things that we build up because of the greatness of the past is what, is what prevents us from being able to see what God has for us in the future. Think of it this way. When Joshua would cross the river, after the whole nation would pass by, he took stones, giant stones, and he put them in the river as symbols to say, when you see these stones, remember what God has done. Remember that he brought us up to this point. What did he do? He put the stones behind them. Because if you ever turn around out of fear, if you ever second-guessed or doubted what God was doing, when you turn around, you'd see those big stones behind you, and they would remind you that God brought you this far. He'll bring you the rest of the way. He didn't, put, he didn't carry the stones with them. He didn't say, okay, from now on, we're going to take these stones, and wherever we go, these stones will be in front of us, reminding us of what. No, he left them behind them. And too often, we take the good old days, and we put them in front of us, and we say, well, things will never be like the good old days. And as a result, we miss out on what God is wanting to do. You see, for Israel, Moses might have been that greatest obstacle. I mean, the plagues, the, the, the water in the desert, the food in the desert, the clothes that never wore off, the healing when he, rose, when he raised his staff. I mean, just all of these things that were so amazing that they all witnessed under his leadership. And yet, he needed to die in order for them to live, in order for them to move into the fulfillment of God's plan for them. It's no different than Jesus, is it? No different than what Jesus had to do for us. But for the joy set before him, he endured. So you see, in life, there are things that God wants us to do. There are things, there are plans that he intends to accomplish in and through us we got to be courageous people. There's no such thing as a, as a cowardly Christian. There's no such thing. We have to be courageous. We have to sanctify ourselves. We have to live set-apart lives. We have to follow his presence. And to follow his presence, we got to recognize his presence. That means that that's something that you have to cultivate in your life. When's the last time you, you shut the world out and closed the door to your room or to your closet and you put on some music and just spent time worshiping the King of Kings, just thanking him for his love for you, for, for, for redeeming your soul? You got to cultivate that presence and then finally you got to forget the past. You just got to let it go. It's great. Great things that happened that have brought us to this very moment. How wonderful. But they're not going to get us where God is bringing us. Is not going to get us there. But his presence will. I can guarantee you that. 
So I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we begin to conclude the service today. I'd like to ask you to just close your eyes for just a moment. Can you sense God wanting to do something in your life? Maybe, maybe you're here today and you've been, you've been sensing this inkling like God is doing something. I just don't know what. Or maybe you've never given any attention to what God might want to do in and through you. And now all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, God has a purpose for me? Well, let's just take this moment right now to just dedicate this time and say, God, help me to be courageous. God, help me to not fear. Why would I fear? What is there to be afraid of? Say, God, help me to to be set apart. To live for you and not for the world, God. I want to be clean, uh, this clean vessel that you can flow through. I don't want to be just infected by all of the world stuff and just swimming downstream with all the world stuff. Instead, God, I want to be on a private network. I want to be in a separate network where when you speak, I can hear you. And I don't, I don't have to deal with all of the clutter to listen to your voice. Say, so God, I... I want to follow your presence. So would you make yourself more real to me today than you've ever been? God, let the awareness of your presence in our lives be just awakened. And God, help us, Lord. Help us to deal with our past. Help us to leave it behind us. Good, bad, indifferent, whatever it was, God. Help us to not raise idols out of our past and therefore miss what you have for our future. And Lord, I believe, God, that for every hearer here and for every family and every friend of the people hearing this message today and responding to you in their hearts, God, I know that you will unlock your promises. And so I thank you, God, for what you're doing at BCC as a church, as a family, as a ministry. And I thank you for what you're doing through every member and every person's life in their home, with their friends and their family, God. Help us, Father God, to live that life abundant which you promised. And help us, Lord God, to be used by you, God, and to to live in the fullness of this beautiful relationship that you paid for. I thank you and I bless you and I praise you, Jesus. In Christ's name, and everyone said, amen. Church, thank you so much for the opportunity to come. I hope you wrote these things down. I hope you go back and look at them throughout the weeks and the days coming ahead. And and I love to hear how God fulfills his promises to you and through you. God bless you.